Please open your Bibles in 1 Peter. Find your place there. You'll need your Bible because we're going through a, a longer passage. It's not very long, but it all holds together, so I need you to look first in 1 Peter chapter 2, and if you don't have a Bible, I'd love for you to find one near you. 1 Peter chapter 2. And once you've done that, I'd like you to find the outline that you were handed inside your bulletin. Today, more than most days, it will be helpful because this is a difficult topic. On the front side of you, I would expect, on the front side, I would expect not all of you to like it. Remember, I didn't choose it. We're going through books of the New Testament. That's almost always what we do in at Cross Point, we pick either sections of books or whole books and move right through, right through them. We are in 1 Peter chapter 2. We've been advancing on to this chapter, which uh, was a letter written by the Apostle Peter, of course, to suffering Christians in the first century, most of them Gentiles, a few of them Jews, but mostly Gentiles that find themselves surprised to be following the faith of Jesus, and to be addressed by one of his Jewish disciples. The gospel has done what the gospel always does when people actually believe it. It has brought people together that have no business being together. It has brought people together who once hated each other, who had reason to despise each other. Now the common bond by most of the Gentiles reading this letter and a few of the Jews is they are all suffering together and they are all suffering under the heavy hand of authority. And the reason I wanted you to look specifically at the outline, and I never do this, I'm not much on sermon titles, I think they're overhyped, overused, and generally don't deliver on the promise, but the title's really simple, it's not particularly clever. It would be a poor thing to announce your church to newcomers. If you're new, a newcomer, bear with us. All we do is move through books of the Bible. That means I don't get to choose my spots or ride my hobby horses. We just look at what the Word of God says next. And today we're talking specifically, the title is Christians Under, what's it say there? You like that? Did you hear the resistance? There was a grumble. This is a happy, healthy congregation. You can always tell a church that is genuinely happy and loving God and loving each other because there's always a lot of laughter. And we've already had quite a, quite a bit of it, some of it directed at me. That's fine. <laughs> We're family, I understand it, I accept, I accept it. Someday maybe I'll get a chance to laugh at you. We never know. <laughs> but when I said Christians under authority and asked you if you liked it, there was a distinct murmur. There was a grumble. There was a complaint. And that, precisely that effect, is why this passage is so important, and you're in good company. What Peter writes here is actually very surprising coming from Peter. Peter is a Jewish believer in Jesus who is suffering under the heavy hand of an emperor infamous for his crimes named Nero. When we read in the passage in a few moments that Peter names the title of the emperor, remember, he's not referring to an abstraction, he's referring to a man named Nero who would eventually unleash one of the most barbaric persecutions in Christian history, and under whose rule Peter himself is going to be crucified, murdered, in the same way that Jesus does with Peter making this humble request according to church 
history, Peter asking only to be crucified with his feet up and his head down, saying that he was not worthy to die in the same way that Jesus did. So when Peter talks to you about living as a Christian under authority, he's not an abstractionist, he's not a theorist. I went to school for a long time and I could always tell in seminary when some of my professors were subject matter experts but had no practical experience in things that I actually knew something about because they went from a profound and demonstrated expertise to things that I already knew as a man in my late 20s were ridiculous if carried into practice. This is the danger of the theorist. There's the old saying that in, in theory there's no difference between practice and theory, but in practice there is. Peter's not drawing something up that he hasn't struggled with. He's not telling you something from the Lord Jesus that he himself is not actually going to follow, actually all the way to the point of death. You're in good hands when you read Peter giving you instructions about how to be a Christian living under authorities that you may not find pleasant and that may actually abuse you and persecute you and mistreat you. Peter lived through all of that and it wasn't easy for him. You're in good company if you have a bit of a cantankerous heart toward authority, because Peter did. On the night that Jesus was betrayed at his last supper, because no one else was willing to do it, and to set an example for his disciples, you may remember he famously took on the slaves of a, the garments of a slave and quietly went to work washing his disciples' feet. Remember that? Everybody was mortified. Nobody dared say anything until he came to Peter. What did Peter say, if you know the story? You'll never wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't, you have no part with me. And Peter, always reactionary, says, then let's have, just wash everything. Wash my head, too. From that humbling encounter, Jesus went out with his disciples into the night to be arrested Evil men with torches and weapons set upon Jesus, and Peter the fisherman drew a workman's knife out of his garments and tried to kill somebody. He was a fisherman, thankfully, and not a warrior, and all he managed to do was cut off a man's ear. And Peter told Jesus, put your sword away, healed the man, and then Jesus himself submitted to the men who were going to arrest him. When it comes to dealing with authority, Peter's been through it. He has struggled and rebelled and backtalked at every step. He's rebelled against Jesus. He's rebelled against the Romans. In other words, he's probably a lot like you, and he certainly is a lot like me. When I'm told to, ugly word, submit, I only have one question. Why? And maybe, possibly, who are you? People in positions of authority deal with this all day long. Teachers, police officers, even medical doctors. My medical doctor friends tell me they are routinely challenged by their patients who said, I was Googling about this. <laughs> One of them even has a framed little sign in his office that says, don't confuse your Google search with my medical degree. Fair enough. So today we're going to talk about Christians under authority, and all we're going to do is 
read 1 Peter chapter 2. That's why I wanted you to have your Bible and begin this sermon with a poor introduction, which is grab your Bible, make sure you have it. But now let's put it to good use. 1 Peter chapter 2. And the task today, make no mistake about it, is to understand and obey these instructions as a follower of Jesus rather than seeking exceptions. This passage stands on its own. There are exceptions. Exceptions to what we're about to read do actually exist. You can remember as you read about Christians submitting to authority, you may remember, if you know your Bible well, Egyptian midwives referred, refusing to murder babies. You may remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refusing to bow the knee at Nebuchadnezzar's idol. You may, re- you may remember Daniel refusing to obey the king's edict and not to pray, and in fact doing it publicly. You may remember Peter himself, and I'll show you those passages in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5, saying to these same kinds of authorities, you tell us not to talk about Jesus anymore, but we must obey God. There are exceptions, but do not diminish this passage because of those few brilliant and extraordinary exceptions, because what Peter says here is focused, it's clear, it's specific. If you read it with an open heart, with an ob- a willingness to obey the Word of God, it should tell you very clearly what kind of attitude at least you should adopt, and then you ask God to guide you through what you think might be exceptions. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake, for Jesus' sake in other words, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Don't miss this. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Y'all okay? Here's what this passage tells us. Here's the big idea of this passage. Here's what it delivers to all Christians for all times, and particularly to those who are suffering. Disciples submit to Jesus. Disciples, rather, of Jesus submit to human authorities because we are disciples of Jesus. The reason you and I submit to the authorities that God has established is not out of fear of them, Not out of personal preference, not for personal advantage, but specifically because we are disciples of the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 13. Be subject, what's the next phrase? For the Lord's sake to every human institution. 
Now that word there, a human institution, is a quiet little word play in Greek. It means that those institutions are created by human beings and for human beings. In other words, they have not always existed. From the very beginning, Peter is going to make this simple truth evident to his audience, the first readers. You belong to the eternal Lord. You have temporary and earthly authorities over you, and your obligation as disciples of the Lord who owns everything and made everything is to be, to quote the Bible directly, to be subject to every human institution, whether it's the emperor or to governors, and you're doing that all as unto the Lord. You're doing it because you're a Christian. You're doing it for the Lord's sake. In other words, the default setting of a Christian is to obey the authorities. There may be a time and there may be occasions to move from that default setting, but they are extremely rare, and you should seek in ordinary circumstances to willingly, not because the authorities are good, not because the authorities are right in every instance, but because the Lord is always good and the Lord is always right for His sake, Submit to them. Let me show you Peter making an exception. Look in Acts chapter 4, please. Acts chapter 4. Verse 18. The religious authorities have arrested Peter have put them on trial. This is the same machinery that killed Jesus. And this is high stakes. Acts 4 verse 18. Acts 4 verse 18. So they called them, meaning Peter and John, they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Look over in the next chapter, chapter 5. They are freed. They keep preaching. They get a second talk. Acts 5, verse 28. We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him as his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to do what? Kill them. There are exceptions. There is a red line, but they're rare, and the Christian disobeys authority for the same reason he almost always obeys authority, and that is to honor the Lord. That is the principle. That is what Peter is teaching us. Go back, please, to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, 
That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Now Peter is going to get into the reasons he is telling people who are being mistreated by authorities that they should obey them anyway. Obedience is a good witness to our relationship with God. Verse 15, this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Christians obey civic authorities as a good witness to the relationship that they have with Jesus himself. Look up in verse 12. This is what Peter has in mind. 1 Peter 2 verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your what? your good deeds, and glorify God upon the day of your visitation. In other words, obedience is a good witness to our relationship with God, and Christian civic goodness is a great defense for the gospel. A good reason to be a good citizen is, if you're a good citizen and it is known that you are a Christian, people will look past you and look unto Jesus. Verse 15, this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Christians should be the greatest citizens that any nation could ever be blessed with. We should be known by those who are quick to learn, quick to listen, quick to obey, and as our default setting, we do our very best to honor the authorities that God has established even as Peter is going to tell you if they are not particularly good to us. Verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Take that verse in. It's very quick, but there's a lot in it. You see, as I'm about to show you, the majority of Peter's readers were actually probably slaves. That was the reality of the ancient world. Ancient slavery, slavery in the age of the New Testament, was not the same as American slavery. They were quite different. And the Bible categorically condemns the American kind of slavery that our nation was marked by, that stained our nation's history. The Bible explicitly forbids the enslaving of other people. But in the ancient world, most people lived in one of three conditions. There were a few citizens, natural born, had every right. There were a few freed men, freed women, who had much more autonomy, but not all the privileges that citizens had, and the great majority of people lived in what we might more fairly call servanthood. They may have sold themselves into it, they may have been born into it, but there was a way out. There was generally a seven-year contract upon which that person was released from that contract and that obligation, given their freedom and given money that their master had been saving up for them. One commentator says it's much more like fulfilling an ROTC scholarship than what we imagine as American slavery. But you need to hear this. The people who are reading this letter, for the most part, are not citizens. They don't enjoy privilege. They're not being asked to vote. They have no voice in their society. 
You're going to have to make the translation into our time in these exceptional days that we're living in. But under an emperor who would kill him and was beginning to persecute his brothers and sisters, Peter himself said, you are to obey these authorities because, verse 16, you are to live as people who are free. Peter, have you forgotten who we are? We're not free. No, you're not, but live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Here's where your freedom is. You are a servant of who? Of God. You answer to Him. You belong to Him. For all these weeks in 1 Peter, we have been talking about the extreme, extraordinary, breathtaking privilege that God has granted to the people reading this letter as His own sons and daughters. If you haven't been here for all those weeks, you've missed it. And the full force of this passage can't possibly hit you if you don't understand or remember what Peter wrote first. But what he wrote first was, you belong to God now. You once had no privilege, you once had no standing, but now you belong to God himself. He is saving up an inheritance for you in heaven You belong to Him, and He will care for you. And it is in that confidence and in that eternal freedom of knowing all your sins are forgiven, and you are loved by the only person who on your deathbed will truly matter. You are loved by God Himself. And His love will save you, and His love will accept you, and His love will bring you in and call you His own beloved child. A, share, a person who shares in his rich inheritance, because that is always and eternally true of you from the moment you trust Jesus, of course you're free to knuckle under and to submit and to obey to people on earth no matter how poorly they treat you. This is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but instead living as servants of God. Because, Peter says, we owe something to everyone in our lives. Verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Every word in the Bible is carefully chosen because God's not a bad author. As I told you a few weeks ago, both writing and speaking is the hardest thing I do, the thing I most question about myself, the thing I most regret as soon as a sermon is over, I walk away regretting certain parts of it. You may regret all of it, but you're in good company knowing (laughs) I regret at least bits of it. And what I most regret, as I told you a few weeks ago, is saying too much, over-explaining. As my children would say, we got it, we got it, we got it, Dad. You're overselling, you're overexplaining. Well, God doesn't suffer from my disability. He always knows what to say, and verse 17 is very carefully crafted. How many people are you to honor? Everyone. What if they're jerks? What if they don't share your politics? What if they have ideas that you find hateful? What if they are hateful? What if they hate you? Remember Jesus said, pray for your enemies. 
It may do them some good. It will do you a world of good. Honor everyone. But love who? The brotherhood. That's different, isn't it? You must, Peter says, honor everyone in your life, and you love the family of God. The brothers and the sisters in the family of God, your true home where your real citizenship and identity lie, you honor others, you love them, you fear God. And fear here is not a cringing fear, it is a deep reverence that leads to willing obedience. And then he says, and how hard this must have been for a man who once took his sword out and tried to kill another to stand against Roman authority. Listen to me, Peter has put his sword away. And Peter, who will be crucified by the emperor, says, honor the emperor. Peter, the one who's making us miserable? The one who may soon kill you? Yes, even him. Why? Because we are doing this, verse 13, for the Lord's sake. We are doing this, verse 12, so that people who call us evildoers may see our good deeds and end up glorifying God on the day when He comes in judgment. We are doing this, verse 15, because this is the will of God, that by doing good, not contrary, not rebellious, not difficult citizens, this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We do this because we already live as people who are truly free. We refuse to use our freedom as a cover-up for evil. I'll be specific. In the name of following Jesus, Christians have done all kinds of things, including tax evasion, tax fraud, firebombing, and murder. And they've done it all in the name of Christ, disregarding everything that Jesus ever taught. Because Jesus, as Peter is about to show us, is one who is going to die for his enemies and pray for them as he killed them rather than summon judgment upon them. Judgment belongs to the Lord. He will bring it soon enough. Those who would follow his example must do what he told us, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, revere or fear God, and honor, yes, even the emperor. Tough passage, isn't it? I'm letting the passage stand as it is, showing you specifically that Peter makes no effort to balance this. He's now going to go into what Bible scholars call a household code. You'll find that, for instance, in Ephesians 5, where Paul addresses first husbands, then wives, then he speaks to parents, then he speaks to children. He envelops the whole household. Peter is going to begin a household code here, and he's going to lay out what you're going to find a difficult Christian case study. But it's going to be very one-sided. He's not going to talk to owners, to bosses, to those in authority. He is only here going to speak to those under authority because that's his readership. In other places of the Bible, in more complete household codes, the Bible says a great deal to everyone in the household. Here, Peter is going to talk only to those servants. Again, these are not to be compared or thought of as what you and I know in American history as slaves, but their condition is still not great. 
This is not a good situation in life. And listen to what Peter told those ancient Christian servants. They might be farm workers. They may be medical doctors. They may be the children's tutor in the house. In other words, these might be highly trusted, highly skilled people who are more knowledgeable and more literate than the people they serve, but the authority only flows in the ancient world one way, straight down. They have not flattened as American society has, society so that most of us have a voice and a vote. Thank God we do. They didn't. And in spite of that, in their difficult conditions, look how Peter addressed them. Servants, be subject to your masters with all, what's it say? Respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Boy. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? This is why I've been telling you, don't be a jerk for Jesus. If you're going to behave badly, do it in your own name. Don't say that you're doing that as a Christian. It is directly contrary to the Spirit of Christ. What credit is it if and when you sin or be, and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure it, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. What is Peter saying? What is the bulk of this? And we can move this gently and with all differences into our own world. If you have a difficult boss, if he's here with you, don't look at him or her just now. If you routinely deal with authority that fails to understand and respect you, that does not honor its obligations, a master, as Peter here wrote in Greek, that's literally crooked. In other words, he doesn't play fair. He doesn't hold up his end of the bargain. Some of these people are these servants who are working off a seven-year contract, and they already know when they finally have their freedom, they're only going to get two of the seven years they're owed. They already know that. What are they to do with it? Here is the basis of Christian behavior in society from the ancient world into our world. Ready? We obey them in order to please Him. The basis of our behavior is grace. We have been given an extraordinary gift of the suffering servanthood of Jesus, of His death in our place. And if we endure in difficult circumstances, verse 20 says, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. In other words, your heavenly Father who sent His Son to die for you is looking at you in your difficult, unfair, unjust, mistreated circumstances. And when you act like Jesus would in those same circumstances, the Father says, that's my kid. She gets it. She reminds me of my son, Jesus. You think you're making that up. No, I'm not. I'm almost done, but the best part of this passage starts now. This is our Christian comfort. It's Christ Himself. If you have a jerk for a boss, if you find yourself in a circumstance where authority is unbearable, if you find yourself in a circumstance where authority routinely, 
violates the law, violates company policy, cuts corners, makes things up, covers up its own evil, and you are stuck in that situation, this next passage, which is the basis, the fuel, the reason Peter has told his readers to act like this, and only a Christian would, because Christ is the reason and Christ is the comfort to suffering people who are suffering under civic human authorities. Verse 21, for to this you have been called. What are you talking about, Peter? I'm talking about what I told you to do back in verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. That's the basic instruction. There are many temporary man-made institutions over you. Submit to them. Here's the reason. For to this, to this kind of obedience, to this kind of good-heartedness, to this kind of exemplary citizenship, you have been called because Christ also suffered, what's it say? For you. Leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. Jesus is your example of obedience to unjust authority. Jesus on the cross prayed for the men who were killing him. One of his final prayers was this, Father, forgive them because what? They don't know what they're doing. If they knew they were killing their creator, perhaps they would stop. But they won't because they don't. Father, these are wicked men. Forgive them at least this. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, in other words, when He was cursed, when He was maligned, when He was slandered, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten. What was Jesus doing? He continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. That's why you can be saved. If the Son of God for a moment had tired of the injustice of the cross and said, enough, it's not right. You would answer for your own sins, and I would answer for mine, because Jesus would have removed Himself as our substitute on the cross, and you would stand before a holy God to answer for your own life. The reason the mockery of a Jewish trial and the brutality of a Roman crucifixion was endured silently by Jesus, speaking only love, humility, and understanding toward others, including His killers, is because Jesus at every moment entrusted Himself to His Father. The end of His life, He said, Father, into Your hands I commit my spirit. These wicked men, these wicked authorities who have killed me and will kill my followers by the millions, they've actually only served you, they only answer to you. I will leave justice in your hands. That's why you and I can be saved. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That's your gospel, that's your good news. This whole passage is hard. I've been thinking about it for weeks. It's one of the reasons I wanted to take you through 1 Peter. 
to call you as a disciple of Jesus to be the most exemplary citizen in the United States you can possibly be, not because of them, but because of Him. Not because they get it right, but because Jesus always does, because He is worth following, because He is worth trusting. And the reason Jesus took your sins into His body on the tree, the cross in other words, is that you might die to sin and live to what? Righteousness. You were saved to be righteous. Jesus took his sins upon you so that you may have new life and you may be righteous. And when you're mistreated by the authorities or mistreated at work or your rights are denied and you're slandered, and you're hurt, and your good name is dragged through the mud, you entrust yourself to God. You keep doing more than they expect. You do things they do not deserve, not because you answer to them, but because you will honor them and you love and revere the Lord. You will render service to people who don't deserve it because Jesus served and died for you when you don't deserve it. Verse 24, by His wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep. Boy, I love this verse. But have now returned to the shepherd and, very important title, what's it say? The overseer of your souls. That tells you three things. Jesus, in times of difficulty, when the authorities are contrary to you, whether they are civic authorities or work authorities, Jesus is always your example. The one who put the stars in the sky and knows them by name and calls the sun out every morning because it serves him and under his direction, he saved you. And he will walk faithfully ahead of you like a good shepherd through your own suffering. He's not only your example, he's your savior. He's the one who died for you. He's your ultimate boss. That's why it says at the end of this passage in verse 25, he's not only your shepherd, he's also your overseer. In other words, he is not only your example and your savior, he's also your protector. How long has it been since you changed your mind about anything regarding your Christian faith? Have you made any adjustments in your following of Jesus? Let me leave you with a probing thing to think about. If it's been a while since you've humbled yourself and realized you were wrong and confessed that to Jesus and started to act differently, both privately and publicly, it's entirely possible you've been under your own control, not the control of the Lord. Unless, of course, you claim that you've been following him perfectly all along, so people who, don't, who never do anything wrong never have to change their mind about anything. <laughs> it's a tricky thing. I think I'm right all the time. And when I realize I'm wrong, I just change my mind, and then beautifully, I'm right again. <laughs> and the world can kind of conform to me. That's how every person, apart from Christ, lives their life. We do what we think is best all the time. We have a Savior who set an example for us. If he were not willing to submit to authorities, none of us could be saved. We have a shepherd to guide us, with the staff in his hand to correct us, 
to yank us back onto the path when we, wayward sheep, who were, it says here, straying, get off the path and get out from behind his footsteps as our point man and leader. He's our overseer. He has a higher vantage point. He understands at all times what's right and what's wrong. The default setting he is inviting you into as his disciple is that your first mindset should be to resist the quiet voice in your heart that says, I don't have to do this. No, that you should look primarily, you should look first to obey the civic authorities, not because they're right and good, not because they're tender and have your best interest in mind, but because you have been saved by him and he does. And he ultimately will be your protector. And where you have been wronged, he will either give those the same mercy he gave you or the justice that both you and they have always deserved. What Peter's trying to tell us here is simply this. We submit to earthly authorities because we're under God's authority. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us be your disciples indeed not just by profession, but by where and when it counts most. By the hard daily choices to humble ourselves, honor others, love you and your family, and serve others even when and especially when they don't deserve it and they have not acted in a way that calls forth our respect, much less our love. Help us to give them respect because we have such deep reverence and love for you. And if there's anybody here, here's my closing appeal, who doesn't know the good shepherd. All this engaging with the authority stuff, that's going to be impossible for you. You don't have the spiritual power to do what Jesus is asking you to do until you trust him as Savior first. So I'm inviting you now, if you never have, to give up on yourself to do the hardest thing of all and to welcome him as your authority. To call him your shepherd and your overseer. To turn away from your sin, agree with him that you've done wrong, and entrust your life to him. He did that for me years and years ago, and I fought him like crazy. I was just a kid, but I remember the battle between my will and the will of Jesus. And I'm here to give you my testimony. I'm so glad he overcame my reluctance and my rebellion and saved me. He can do the same for you if you'll trust him. Never mind the authorities. They come later. The great question is, not are you submitting to anyone else. The real question is, have you submitted to Jesus? Have you agreed with Jesus that you've sinned, that you have strayed from the only one who can save you, and you'll now turn yourself back over to him? If you will, and if you want to this morning, if Jesus is calling you to follow his steps in that way, if you never have before, let me just invite you to pray to him. Tell him you give up. Tell him you're sorry for your sin. Agree with him, you've blown it all. You've broken all his rules. You've hurt yourself and others by doing it. But you're done with that. You're turning your back on your old life and you're turning yourself over to him. 
Jesus, if there's a person here or many who need to follow you, I pray that they would this morning and encounter you as their good shepherd and savior and overseer. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Still have your outline? In that, you'll find a card. If you're our guest, we'd love to know it. Fill that out and leave it for us either in a box or at the welcome table. It's on either side of the room as you leave if you have time. If this morning you've taken a step of faith or if you have a question, if you're asking the whatabouts, I welcome your question via that card. I look forward to hearing from you. I pray that you all have a good week in the name of Jesus. Let's go be good citizens because we serve a good God. Love you.